Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Suyapa Portillo Vieda, who is an associate professor of Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina, transnational studies at Pitzer College. She recently published an article in Counterpunch. You should go read it. It's called An Illegitimate U.S.-Backed Regime is Fueling the Honduran Refugee Crisis. Uh, Suyapa, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for coming on. So what are, what are people from Honduras and, and elsewhere fleeing? Yeah, well, basically, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for what's happening right now. Um, clearly, in 2009, there was a coup d'etat which ousted a democratically elected president, Manuel Zelaya Rosales, and brought into power this very conservative sort of um, regime with, uh, with the Nationalist Party. Um, there's been a couple of leaders of, um, that have, that come from the Nationalist Party. And, you know, this is a militaristic party. The most recent leader who illegally re-elected himself, interestingly enough, Juan Orlando Hernandez, um, you know, instituted the military police, a lot of funding going into security slash military. Um, and, you know, these are conservative people who are not interested in... Um, you know, developing more jobs or uh, improving, uh, benefiting poverty or investing in healthcare, or investing in public services. Um, the other thing that's happening in Honduras, and I think that's something that's been happening throughout Central America and throughout the region, is that after the the civil wars or the Revolutionary Wars um, in Central America ended in 1992 and 1996 in Guatemala and in Salvador in 96, these countries were plunged into neoliberal economy, into the global economy, without a process of reconstruction, right? So um, you went from extreme civil war, which debilitated um, the economic structure in the country, into sort of free trade zones, um, maquiladora industries, um, which many of those presidents consider development, you know? So you have... Uh, you know, uh, maquiladora hire women from ages 15 to 40, and after 38 or 40 years of age, they throw them out because they're not fast enough, because, you know, they don't want to pay um, retirement or benefits. They work outside of minimum wage laws. And so it's interesting when these conservative presidents call maquiladoras and this kind of these kind of industry developments because it isn't, right? So to me, it's not surprising that women and children are fleeing on Luda because, you know, you have you no know, you have people that haven't been able to work for three to five years. Um, they haven't been able to find jobs. Um, and many of them are women who are spewed out from this multi-salada industry. There's also, um, you know, the entire country, 60.9% of the population is living in poverty. Um, that means that they earn less than minimum wage or less than what you would need to pay for your basic consumption. The country of Honduras we're talking about. The country of Honduras, correct. Um, 70% of countryside homes or rural homes uh, live in poverty, and 61% of those 70% are in extreme poverty. So the other migration you're seeing is farm workers or people that would have normally migrated to the margins of um, the cities, right, and then thought of migrating internationally coming directly to 
to international migration because they just don't have enough food. So food is an issue, right? Yeah. Um, but the other question is that when you have a political mayhem, as you've had in Honduras since 2009, and the U.S. has supported this illegitimate president and all the others that came before from 2009 on, because they're afraid of allow of letting a populist or letting uh, what they consider to be a socialist in power, um, what happens is that there isn't any attention to the people, right? So people are protesting that their vote wasn't listened to in November 2017. They voted against, uh, they voted for the opposition party, and there were a ton of irregularities, and, and basically this party was able to take the presidency illegally. Um, and, and you know, basically, like, the entire community of, uh, the entire communities that are, are protesting are working-class communities, our cities, our neighborhoods, our countryside areas that are protecting um, their, their environment, right, are protesting against this president. The Nationalist Party, which took over after the coup d'etat, has given over 900 uh, concessions of land to external uh, banks and developers and even internal developers. Um, you know, it's extreme. And basically, the entire country is for sale. What happens with these extractive industries, um, for example, uh, non-precious metals like copper or lead, hydroelectric plants, um, ecotourism uh, ventures, is that they're displacing indigenous or Afro-indigenous communities from their from the countryside, and they have nowhere else to go, right? And so if they protest, which is their right to protest because they may not have been consulted by the government before granting this land, um, they have a right to protest um, because they have a right to be consulted on what happens in the uh, indigenous land or Afro-indigenous land, um, then the government crack, um, kind of comes down really hard, arrests people, um, shoots into crowds with, you know, utilizes the military police and the military to shoot into crowds and, and put people in danger. So um, in reality, you know, um, the, the situation is complex because, you know, you can't protest and you can't contribute to making the society a better place for their children, um, you know, to, to live in, right? At this point, they're just fighting for basic survival because you will get shot at. Um, I was in Honduras on a Fulbright um, this earlier this year, from November, from January to um, just August, and I went. I went to um, document some of these things with the human rights um, workers, and you know, some of the protesters were peaceful, and they were shot at with real bullets. It was really shocking to me, right, to see um, that happen. So, you know, it's a place that's incredibly polarized. Um, politically, um, people don't know. They've exhausted all the different ways to change their society. They have peacefully protested. They have worked on, um, you know, building a new political party. Um, people have let the president know that they didn't want him to be president by voting, you know, yeah. twice, 2013, 2014. And, um, and they just don't know what to do. So, if there's no food and there's no way to improve their society, if there's no way to protect the environment they live in um, so that they can continue to subsist from it, um, people are going to migrate. And, you know, it's desperate. I spent some time in the, in the south, southern part of the country. Uh, the Mellon, um, 
the melon uh, growers, right? So there's a lot of honeydew melon that's being produced in southern Honduras. These are some of the poorest regions of the country. It was even being at the meeting where people were talking about their conditions when I was interviewing them. It was obvious to me that people were malnourished, you know, that, that they lacked so much. And we're not just talking about the markers of, like, Western modernity, right? Electricity and portable water, things like that. We're talking about basic food, sustenance, you know? Yes. Um, we're talking about a living wage, not any wage, but a living wage that respects minimum wage hours. We're talking about not being sprayed with, um, um, you know, uh, contaminants, right, well, or, or pesticides when they're working. Um, you know, people in Honduras are really hard up at this point, and so if the government is going to be this heavy hand that will get in the way of, of progress or get in the way of democracy, they're going to walk and they're going to go figure out how they can feed their families. So I think that there's all these different things happening at the same time and colluding with each other, right? Yes. Bad government, uh, bad structures of government, um, the, the U.S. sort of uh, heavy hand and reach uh, into a Honduran society for over 100 years, right, at this point, you know? Um, and, and you also have sort of this political dynamic of, of the opposition, right? So, so all these things are happening, and I think that that's generated interest. Now, the caravan thing, I mean, you know, the caravan's about safety. People are going to migrate. You know, no matter how much money USAID puts into programs telling people not to migrate, people will migrate because they see the desperation in their families and their children in their community faces. So they will have to migrate. Um, and you know what? It's their right to migrate. It's a human right to migrate, and it's, a, it's an individual decision for everybody. These are people that are not dumb. These are people that have thought through what, what their options are, and, and this is it. This is all they have. Indeed. They're going to migrate. But the, 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 the caravan option is a better option because it means they're not going to be, women are not going to be raped by gang members in Mexico. They're not going to be extorted or robbed or killed. You know, there's been two massacres in Mexico since 2012. Right of Honduran specifically in the northern in the northern part of Mexico, right? Um, so this just guarantees their safety. Even if they are sleeping on the floor, even if you know they don't have enough food, at least they're all together and they will be safer than than um, than the stories that we've heard from other uh, groups of migrants who have traveled by themselves. Let, let me remind people that we're speaking with Suyapa Portillo Vieda, whose article in Counterpunch is called An Illegitimate U.S.-Backed Regime is Fueling the Honduran Refugee Crisis. Suyapa, in that article, uh, on top of all of the violence and poverty uh, and conditions you've described, you also describe uh, certain groups of people, specifically women and, and gay and lesbian and transgender people, uh, being targeted with, with murder in Honduras. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so Honduras is one of the most violent um, countries to be a woman, to be a transgender person, to be a gay person, to be a journalist, actually, um, you know, to be a law, an attorney or a, a human rights lawyer, and to be a, a human rights worker and environmentalist. Um, all in this one country of 9 million people. If you think about how small that is, right, um, and the reach that, that, that this poor government has over people. So um, transgender folks particularly and, and LGBT folks are facing uh, dire uh, situations, right? They're, on the one hand, not respected 
um, in the society. It's, uh, it's hard for them to get jobs as it is, right? If they don't have jobs, they're not welcome in the formal economy. So they have to work in the informal economy. By working in the informal economy, it puts them in danger of being harassed by the national police, the military police, and gang members, right, who force them to um, actually sell, sell or consume drugs, right? So either way, they're targeted on both sides. Um, they feel trapped. They feel trapped because their rights, they don't have rights. And so um, of 200 murders since 2009, I think only two have been prosecuted. Um, and if you look at the, the, the figures for the death of, I mean, over 600 women are killed in Honduras a year. 600 women who are, um, you know, it could be like domestic partner violence. It could be violence in the streets, um, you know. There's all these different um, dynamics that occur, but again, these are un, uninvestigated cases. You know, I think um, a couple of weeks ago, Casa Alianza released a report where this year alone, 50 uh, children were killed. 50 kids from 15 to 25, let's say, um, are killed a month in Honduras, right? So these are the kinds of numbers that most of the media is not getting, um, everybody talks about gangs and gangs this and gangs that. Yes, gangs are an issue, but let's remember that gangs are like the peddlers compared to the narco-traffickers. Gangs are not in power. You know, they don't right. have military power. They don't have, um, you know, military police, you know, and that, and that gangs and narco-traffickers thrive in weak governments, governments that are corrupt. And so corruption is, is really sort of, yes, it's at the bottom of what's going on, but it's not just corruption, right? It's this political ideological model that the U.S. is imposing in Latin America, afraid of socialism, right? Afraid of Venezuela, afraid of, of what could happen in Latin America. And really, it's absurd if you look at we're in the 21st century, right? Um, and look at the failures, right, of, of, the US, of this U.S. model in Latin America and all over the world. Um, so I think that that we we really need to talk to the U.S. public, talk to the American public about um, the realities here. People just want to have an opportunity um, to have their cases heard in a courtroom without having to sit in jail for two or three years until their cases are heard. They they want an opportunity to participate in their local civil political government. These are things that they don't get to do yeah. right now with this government, right? So. The government says that they're hosting, they're holding um, a dialogue, right, to discuss what happened in the elections in, in November 2017. Uh, but nobody trusts them. Nobody trusts the police. So if something happens to you, you wouldn't go to the police. If you know, if you get robbed at gunpoint, if someone came into your house, you wouldn't go into the police because oftentimes the police is linked to these gang members and, or these low-level traffickers. So, you know, I think that one of the biggest issues here has been sort of the U.S reach and, and imposing Juan Orlando Hernandez on the people of Honduras when the people chose through a democratic free vote that they did not want him. So that's one issue, right? And also, you know, addressing the coup d'etat and what happened there. A lot of these Central American countries after war went into a neoliberal um, economic model without reconstruction. If you think about the devastation of 250,000 murdered people in Guatemala 80,000 murdered people, so many disappeared by the thousands, 2,000 people were disappeared in Honduras, students um, in, in Nicaragua, and there hasn't been a process of reconstruction 
Um, if you think about the U.S. Civil War and, and the war we had here in the U.S., you know, we had a process of reconstruction, and I feel like that em- led this country to emerge, right, into a different um, nation, and I feel like that's the kind of space Central America needs, right? They need a process of reconstruction that doesn't involve um, sort of random free capital extractive industries and sort of the U.S. reach on there. Like, people need to redefine and refound their nation. Um, and that's what the process um, of the resistance is in Honduras right now. They're refounding what it means 200 years after independence, you know, because we're coming up in 2021 to, to 200 years of independence uh, from Spain. What does it mean? And and who, you know, what is their identity? Who are they? Um, are they going to be um, this typical, um, you know, uh, nations that are constantly convulsing because of U.S. aid? Or will people have an opportunity to lead themselves and, and you know, and emerge, right, as, as a nation as they wish to see themselves? So I think that those are the tensions that you're seeing in Honduras right now. And that, you know, is contributing in large part to people migrating, right? The country itself is, is just um, not making it. I mean, yeah. I have some figures here, you know, the the, the basic food basket um, costs a month $325 um, for a, a household of five, um, but a household of five altogether makes about $519. Um, so really that leaves less than $200 for people to, you know, spend in education and health care in, you know, advancing their desires and buying a house and things like that. So, you know, do the math, right? It just doesn't make sense that this is tenable, you know, that this is going to be sustainable. And so people, um, in some ways, that's why they have to migrate. But the the Pentagon only has $23 trillion it can't account for, so it's not as if there's just lots of money floating around or anything uh, that could be put to use. Uh, In the in the sense that uh, Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State and Barack Obama as President supported the coup government, it seems as if Donald Trump is accidentally saying something correct for once without really meaning it when he blames Democrats for uh, this migration. At, at least there's part of the responsibility to be laid there, correct? Well, the one thing to remember is that we've had... Um child migration for a while, you know, uh, from Latin America. If you look at Cuba in the 60s, um, El Salvador in the 80s, you know, there's been child migration. I think what's different now, you know, is that, um, A, people are migrating in a caravan for safety. They're not a mob. They're not here to take over the United States. It's for safety. To survive Mexico. Survival, right? This is a survival tactic. And two, just to remember, too, that... Um, you know, people have a right to, to, to cross borders, you know, it's their life, it's their prerogative. And, you know, they will, I think people are aware that they're going to confront what they're going to confront. That's what I'm, you know, I think that they're aware. That's how severe the situation is. Now, did Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, um, you know, uh, blunder, royal blunder, in Central America, yes, right? They didn't behave as you would have thought, um, you know, progressives would be. You know, we were very excited about Barack Obama. We thought he was going to be a different kind of leader for um, Latin America. We didn't please, expect him to be Please don't a include <laughs> Please don't include me in that. 
they they certainly behaved the way I expected them to behave, <laughs> and I oppose it and I condemn it. Uh, and their uh, successors are behaving uh, just as badly. Um, but I, do do you think that that Donald Trump or or any of his chorus in Congress or the media actually believe the things they say, that, that there's something illegal about uh, fleeing and, and trying to uh, find shelter as a refugee, that, there's, that there are Middle Eastern Muslim armed invaders here, that this is some sort of a threat to the United States? Do they, do they believe I that? It, I think it's, on the one hand, I think um, that, that they're, they're so misinformed I I wouldn't be surprised if they believe it. They are misinformed and and incomplete ignorance about a how migration functions, to who what the demographic looks like, um, and you know how how this is all working out. I mean, I feel like they really lack some expertise in that, and they're showing it. But this is not the only issue that they lack expertise on, as you know, right? So their their ignorance here is. It is expected from this president. I also feel like he's throwing, um, you know, he's throwing fire and to see what he gets, right, to to appease to his his constituents and, and things like that. Um, it's not true that we are being bombarded at the border, actually, because we have, uh, the U.S. has actually um, dec- uh, deported people, but, but the numbers have gone down. It's Mexico who's doing the dirty work for the U.S. The U.S. pays Mexico, and Mexico has deported more Central Americans now than the U.S. has. So they don't even make it to the border. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is that um, many of the, the cases uh, that come through through the system here, they've been reduced. Since 2014, you've seen a reduction in the cases that have been heard or the people that have been um or the people that have gone through asylum hearings. You know, it's incredibly hard. In fact, because of Sessions' um, last orders, um, you know, attorneys require experts now to even bring their cases for a master hearing or even to prepare their their, their clients for, for the next step, right? So um, it's, it's incredibly hard in the U.S. to get asylum now um, with these uh, latest... Um, sort of harsh policies from the Trump administration. So it's not true. It's not true that that we're, you know, bombarded. Um, Mexico, however, has been receiving a lot of immigrants, and they've tried um, a couple of things. You know, in some cases, they've given humanitarian visas. In other cases, they've offered people um, opportunities to stay if their cases are heard. Um, in other cases, they're just supporting a lot of people. And because it's closer to Central America, it's just a bus ride away. You know, um, and and that's what's been happening. So the deportations from Mexico have increased, um, and and people don't make it to the border. So I just think he's misinformed about migration in general. You know, um, but also um, creating hysteria and and you know among people about this issue when when in reality we need to be looking looking at these people as human beings who deserve uh, to be seen as refugees. Um, they deserve their cases to be heard in a court of law. They deserve to tell their story. Um, and, and, you know, and I feel like the Mexican people and the Guatemalan people are responding in humanitarian ways, but their governments aren't. So there, there's always been a disconnect there, you know, with bad governments and their people. So I'm excited to see what um, the new president, um, Jose Lopez Obrador in Mexico, is going to do. And eager, we're eagerly awaiting um, that December 1st deadline to see what his response is going to be to this. I mean, I've heard 
that he's going to provide work visas. I heard that he's going to provide humanitarian visas. But there's nothing concrete yet from Mexico. What what can he do to to prevent the the U.S. wall? And is there any moral, legal, practical justification for such a wall? There isn't. There really isn't. And I feel like um, Trump imposing that on Guatemala, Mexico, because that's that's the wall that I think he's really silently working on. I know he's talking a lot publicly about the U.S.-Mexico wall, um, but you know, but I think. Um, he knows he he wants to muscle, you know, uh, Mexico and, and Guatemala into building this wall. Um, I think that that would be devastating. You know, historically, these Latin American nations have had open borders, so for instance, Central Americans can travel um, between each Central American country with just their ID, for instance, right? The way we used to do it with Mexico or Canada, they don't need a passport. Um, that's where people are able to cross. You know. Yeah. That has been something that's been, you know, these are nations that at one time dreamed of being a federation, right? And so uh, to impose these sort of um, strict rules on these nations is going to diplomatically damage relations between those nations and the people of those nations. And and historically, it's just, it's never uh, been necessary and it's never been something that, um, you know, has been considered, it would be considered something that's unbrotherly if you will, you know, so the fact that, that he's really muscling Guatemala and Mexico to, um, you know, kind of um, uh, tear gas uh, people to keep them, you know, from crossing, all those things uh, would harm diplomatic relations, I think, between the nations. And it would create even more tensions, um, you know, that in the region. So I don't think that's the answer. I really think we need to look at um, our refugee law and um, modernizing some of these laws, figuring out how they can work, you know, um, how can we utilize certain aspects of them at certain moments, um, you know, and, and provide, you know, one is renew TPS, right? Why are we canceling TPS when effectively we, people are coming from a war-torn region, you know, because the conditions that Honduras is reflecting right now are conditions of an active war, Um, You know, um, 600 women a year, that's extreme, you know, for for 10 million, a country of 10 million people, so, uh, or less than 10 million people. So um, I think that that's kind of what, I would hope that Mexico, Guatemala, and the U.S. would adhere to international law on refugee status and and provide shelter for people, um, even even if it's through temporary protected status or other systems. Um, so clearly we really need to have temporary protective status active, um, and we need to really um, not be deporting people um, as he's promising, right? So I feel like his presidency is incongruent. It doesn't make sense. He doesn't understand diplomacy. Um, clearly he doesn't understand how countries function. You know? <laughs> so, what can, so what can we've got just about one minute left. What can people listening to this program in the United States in particular do in terms of taking demands to the government or, or otherwise to help? Well, I think emailing your uh, representative is always important, keeping a relationship open with your representative about all of these issues that affect you or that you feel concerned about, particularly on Luna's. Um, um, 
Representative Norma Torres, for instance, here in this region of California, um, you know, is working on anti-corruption but doesn't engage with human rights. So encouraging her to please engage on the human rights issues in Honduras. So that's always good. The other thing is check in with your immigrant rights organization in your city to see how you can assist. You know, whether you can assist the caravan uh, people or whether you can assist um, the immigrant rights group work that is happening locally in your region, right? So depending where you are, if you're in L.A., check in with CARESEN or the TPS Alliance or the National Day Labor Network, for instance, and make sure that, you know, you're you're lending a hand. If you don't have time to lend a hand, you can donate money. Um, it's, but, you it's know, writing, good, good advice. Writing we, we will have to leave it there. Suyapo Portillo Villegas, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much for having me. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.